John chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. We'll come back to this in a moment, but uh, I'd first just like to let you, just let the word be read to you, just let it kind of soak in. This is our passage for this morning. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's method is a man, and that man is Jesus. Pray with me for just a moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in this place, uh, in the people who are here. Lord, I pray that your word um, would saturate our hearts as our attention looks to Christmas, Lord, I pray that you would focus our attention on your son Jesus and the implications that he brings into our life. I pray this in his name, the name of our Savior, in the name of Jesus, amen. Christmas is almost here. You guys excited? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The kids are like, whoo! Kids excited. I'm excited for some Christmas. It's here. Presents are coming. I like it. I, I love Christmas. And you guys like just love Christmas? It's, it's, yeah, see, look, yay! I love it. It's so good. I, I love like the presents and I love the family. And yes, I get to say that even though I'm a pastor. I get excited about those things. I just, I just like, I, I like all the lights and stuff. Now, I don't decorate anything, but I like to enjoy other people who put in all the time to do all that stuff. And one of the things that's really cool is even as a church family, and we get to take part in that with one another, and you guys have been so incredibly encouraging to me and to Amy um, just over the past few weeks. Man, I've gotten notes and cards and all that kind of stuff, and man, just thank you. I got, I've even got like gift cards. Some of you guys hooked me up with gift cards for new kicks, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, you know you're styling if you get some, some, some shoe gift cards. Now, either that means you really like my shoes, or you're looking at them going, what's wrong with him? I don't really know, but I'm, I'm taking it as love, okay? Um, another way, one of, probably one of my favorite things that I'm choosing to take as love is I've noticed a trend that's going around le- recently, and so there's these things that like our life groups and stuff get, become part of all the time, it's these white elephant gift parties, you know? And if you don't know what a white elephant gift is, it's, it's basically something that's really rare and special that you want to share with someone else, okay? And uh, I've noticed on Facebook that our groups have been giving pictures of me. Check this out. Pictures of me so that they can, I know, put it on their mantle and pray for me throughout the week. Isn't, isn't that special? Look at that. Uh, so, yeah, I know. I, and so I even learned something in between the service I didn't know before. So um, uh, Danielle is on the left, and their life group party was the other night. She picked first. Which means at the end, she could exchange that gift for any other gift. She kept it. Because <laughs> she's committed to pray for me, or she's thinking that's a pretty nice picture frame. I don't know which one, 
but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose it's, 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 it's praying for me. Anyway, oh, one other thing, real quick before I move on. We're a church that celebrates plurality. You know that. We don't have, like, a pastor. There's multiple of us. There's nine elders. Listen, don't let, like, Pastor Paul and Pastor Mike feel left out. They want to be prayed for, too. So figure out a way to, to kind of get that going, all right? I love Christmas. I love the family part. We, yeah, we need to take that down. I love the family part of it. It's just awesome. I, I mean, and especially like the crazy parts of family. You know, like you got that one family member that shows up at Christmas and they're just odd. Some of you are that family member, but you know what I'm talking about. We, we love it. It's just good. Listen, yeah, take a moment and just catch this because this is context for what we're going to read today. The family was created before the fall. As a church, you've heard me say that a lot, but that's a really important thing. God instituted the family, Adam and Eve, the family, in the Garden of Eden before there was sin. That's really special. There are not many things that we experience and that we have that go back before sin. God said it was good. Family. This is a good thing. And so much of what we're going to talk about this morning is really how Christmas... Is about family. And we're going to try to peel the layers of that back. And I'm going to own something, okay? I've been studying on, just my, in my own life, some things around this for the last month. And that's the worst thing to do uh, <laughs> as, as one who's speaking. Because then I've got 100 thoughts that are swirling about in my head. And the first service got all those 100 thoughts. And I don't know if it made any sense to them. All right? So I'm just going to own it. I'm struggling a little bit. So here's what I need you to do. I want you to work with me. Help me. Just acknowledge He's crazy. He's going to be random. He's going to be all over the place. There's some really good stuff in this that I think we can peel back and will help us focus on Christ and Christmas in a way that's refreshing and encouraging for us. But you're going to have to work with me a little bit because I'm going to be a little messy. Okay, we good? Got a plan? When we talk about family, one of the things I want to bring you back to is in Romans chapter 8, those who are in Christ, Christians, Jesus followers, People who have placed authentic, saving faith in Jesus. Paul says they are adopted. He says they are children of God. Just like John says here, children of God. And Paul says, if children, then joint heirs with Jesus. Brothers, sisters with Jesus. Family. That's an incredible thought. That as we are redeemed and reconciled, we are not just set apart. We're not servants in heaven. We're family. And so Paul, with this in mind, asked this question, who, what can separate us from the love of God? He says, we are more than conquerors. Here's the context. We're his children we are family. Who can separate us from God? See, the story of Christmas is a family story. It's a family story. Now, we know salvation is a story about reconciliation and redemption. We get that. But Christmas shines light on the reality of that and kind of how that comes to be a little bit more. It unpacks it a little further. It reveals the extent of our redemption and reconciliation. See, the Christmas story means that Jesus is not just fully God, he's also fully man. 
And as a result, we are not simply repaired beings, servants in heaven. We are adopted children. Family. Family. God didn't just save you. He adopted you. That's powerful. And if we can let that saturate our thinking as we come into Christmas and consider the incarnation, God taking on flesh, taking on humanity, the implications for how we live this Christmas and how we look ahead to the second coming will be great. But there's a problem. As we wrestle with this big truth that we have this morning, that Jesus is fully man, last week we realized Jesus is fully God, we got some hurdles that we're going to have to overcome. And there's a few of them, all right? Because let's be honest, fully God, fully man, if you think about that long enough, your head's going to hurt, right? It's just, it's, it's hard, it's complicated. Some hurdles we're going to have to overcome. The first hurdle, all right? The first hurdle is our vantage point. Today as Christians, when we look at Jesus, we tend to look back to Jesus. The first disciples were certain of Jesus' humanity. They struggled with his divinity. See, they were certain of his humanity. They lived with him. See, but before they saw him seated in heaven, they saw him sleeping in a manger. See, before they saw him rule over nature and storms, at his word, they saw him subject to Caesar. Before they saw him feed thousands, they saw him hunger and thirst. Before they saw him conquer the grave, they saw him die. Before they saw him exalted as God, they saw him humiliated as man. See, they lived in what we know as the state of humiliation, Jesus' state of humiliation, that went from his incarnation to his death. Paul writes about this, he speaks to this in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to pick up in verse 7, just so we can kind of capture this. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' humiliation, yes, is at its peak on the cross. But for God to take human flesh in and of itself is a great sacrifice. It is an act of humiliation for him to live as us, a created being. And yet for us today as Jesus followers, as authentic Christians, we seem to be certain of his divinity. And we wrestle with his humanity. See, we live in Jesus' state of exaltation, which goes from Jesus' resurrection all the way through eternity. And Paul continues in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, and he explains and talks about this as well. He says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, we see Jesus fairly quickly as Lord, as Savior, as King, as God. And we do so much quicker than we see him as physical, relatable, brother, man. And there's a danger in this because we're tempted to overlook and forget his humanity. And when we do that, it's going to rob us of a lot of things. But especially as we look at Christmas, it will rob us of a peculiar grace that is found in Christmas. Family. Family. Adoption. The right to become children of God. And so we're going to have to overcome this. We're going to have to find a way to see Jesus in his humanity to understand the fullness of his incarnation and in Christmas and the implications of what that brings to us. But we're also going to have to do one other thing. There's another hurdle here that's going to be hard for us, okay? And this one's probably the most difficult. And I can't even wrestle with how to articulate this, but we have to overcome the hurdle of our limitation. So if I ask you, how many of you guys are, um, you know, like Winnie the Pooh bears of little brain? Many of you would raise your hands. That's a constant saying in my home. I am a bear of little brain. It's, it's pretty consistent. Some of you guys know, um, know the pain, right? And so we're limited in our understanding of things. And we're talking about something that regardless of our vantage point, whether in Jesus' state of humiliation or the state of exaltation, Jesus is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. In his state of humiliation, he was 100% God, 100% man. In his state of exaltation, he is 100% God, 100% man. And I'm just going to own it, I have no idea how all that works. I don't know. My daughter asked me that a few years ago. She goes, Dad, how is Jesus God and man? And I'm like, uh, because how is a really hard question to answer. And, and I want to kind of lay this out for us in our faith. How is the lesser question? If we could understand the how of God, under, just kind of catch all that you would be up against. There is a God so powerful that he has created everything, even the, the constructs of existence as we understand it and know it. Take even the big three. God created time, space, and matter. We exist in all of those things, and we can't shape any of them, and it's hard for us to even fathom anything outside of those constructs. We can't go back in time. We can't go forward in time. You can't speak more space into our universe. You can't speak matter into existence. And there is a God that did all of that. And frankly, it was nothing to him. How do you think you could understand all of the hows in that? 
See, that's an old problem. We, we even see that in the original temptation. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. To be like God. To understand all the hows as he would understand it. And there's a temptation in us and a longing in us to understand all those hows. And it's a good pursuit. But we have to understand it's still the lesser question. The better question for us. Limited. Bears of little brain us is who and why who and why because the implications are the goal we will never understand the fullness of how like god but we can live in the implications of who he is and see how the why shape our lives see jesus himself acknowledged this Think of it this way. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is speaking years after Abraham, saying, Before Abraham was, I am. Right? Anybody else? Look, I, I don't understand how that is, but he's proclaiming it. And what he doesn't stop and do go, oh, Now let me explain how all that works. Nope. Proclaim truth. Here it is. But Jesus also says in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, but concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So here's two very clear statements. Jesus says, I am God. I exist outside of time. Next statement. I'm man. Only God knows the time. Where's the Father? I don't know how all that works. I claim it as truth because it is revealed and proclaimed. And I accept that the hows are a little bit beyond my understanding. I wrestle with it. I study it. I want to understand and build more and more on my understanding of how. But what I know for certain is how is the lesser question. I'll give you some real practical examples, okay, that are, that are heavy. Because, I, listen, I know it's Christmas, but let's just be real. Christmas is a time where a lot of us are hurting and suffering, too. And after a couple of decades in ministry and being around families, one of the hardest things that you face as a pastor is in great seasons of suffering and loss. And you can imagine in a church of a thousand people, and uh, maybe even larger than that at times, how many times. As pastors, we walk with a family who's faced the loss of a child through miscarriage or the loss of an infant through sickness or accident. And they want you to explain to them, where is my child? How does it work? Listen. This does not explicitly say how. And the temptation of wanting to comfort you and explain all the hows of how that works makes any leader, any pastor who cares, want to try their best to explain all the hows from here. But if your trust is being able to exegetically break down hows from Scripture, it's going to leave you lacking. Can I give you a better source for your trust? Who? 
not how, who. Can you find your trust in a God who loves you more than you can define the term? A God that loves you so much he would send his only begotten son to die for you. Can you trust in him? Not just the how. See, if in those moments I can build you up to put your faith and your trust in who, that is something you can hold on to. That is something you can understand. But if I try to break down all the whys and all the things that are so complicated and all those little hows that are in there, all the hows will leave us confused sometimes. Job went through this in his suffering. And do you remember how God answers Job? Job, I mean, really. I get it. You want to understand all this. Where were you when I? And he just goes through all of creation, all the details of how life works, and just keeps asking Job until Job realizes, I have no ability to understand all the how. And he has to put his faith in who? In who? That's the challenge for us, to focus on, in this case, the why behind who God is and what that means for us. And there's a temptation to chase the how. And what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is to set that aside as a lesser question and focus on the greater question. Why? John chapter 1 tells us why God became flesh. It tells us the why behind the Christmas story. And I want us to be able to celebrate that in faith this morning. First, the Christmas story is a story of revelation and hope. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone. Do you see the hope in that? Authentic, true revelation of God, light to everyone. Hope was coming into the world. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Here's the implication. Apart from God, there is only darkness and void, fake light. But in Jesus, There's true light, true revelation of God. Stephen Alford, who we heard open us this morning, great uh, exegetical preacher of the past, it's what makes him conclude there is only one thing that really matters. The revelation of God comes through one man. God's method is a man, and that man is Jesus. It all comes through him. God's method for revealing himself in Jesus. God's method for revealing his glory is in Jesus. And the Father and the Son are one in this. That's why Jesus says to Philip in John chapter 14, verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now listen to the conclusion and come back to John chapter 1. Listen for the key words, okay? I know I'm teaching you something. We're not just, I mean, stay with me. We're good. Verse 11, believe me. Jesus said. He says, Philip, the Father and I are one. Verse 11, Jesus says, believe me that I and the Father, 
or I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. And then he goes, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Look around at the evidence, the miracles. Believe on that. At least just believe, Jesus says to Philip. Notice the command is to believe. It's a faith command. The command is not understand. Jesus doesn't sit down with Philip and try to explain all the hows about how he is in the Father and the Father is in him. That's not what happens. Throughout Jesus' ministry, many disciples walk away because Jesus does not explain the how. And ultimately, that's because the conversion of man is not of the will of flesh or of our mind or of our works, but truly the work of God through his Holy Spirit as we are confronted with the revelation of who God is. We see that laid out so clearly in front of us. Hope is being revealed. It's part of the Christmas story. But let's keep going. The Christmas story is also a story of sacrifice and humiliation. Sacrifice and humiliation. Verse 10, he was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. For some, Christmas is hard. For some, this is the hardest time of the year. As a church family, we can't forget that. For some, you have experienced real suffering, real loss. And the illusion of finding joy in candy canes and lights and fairy tales has come to an end. You realize at best it's a distraction and you long for something more meaningful. You hurt. And Christmas is more of a time to realize what you have lost. No distraction is going to fix that. You're looking for true light full of grace and truth. Something that has value and meaning beyond the little things of this world. Christmas demonstrates God's love. It calls us to believe Remember in John chapter 14, verse 11, believe on the account of the works themselves. You may not be able to get your mind around the fullness of God, the fullness of his love for you. But would you take a moment and consider the work of God for you. God, a supreme being, chose to humiliate himself, to take on flesh, to the point of death, so that he might pay the penalty for your sin, reconcile you, back into his family 
give you hope, joy, meaning, purpose. All for you. He did all this for you. And I get it. You've experienced the pain of broken and bruised and sick flesh. So is he. You, you've experienced the pain of the death of a loved one. So has he. You've experienced heartbreak and betrayal, and so has he. And you hurt because you've been mocked and humiliated. So has he. All for you. He took it on. Not because of the consequence of his sin, but the consequence of your sin and my sin. He took it on. Because he loves you. There is some joy in what we celebrate in Christmas that goes beyond all the little things. That gives us a peace and a hope that surpasses our understanding. The author of Hebrews touches on this when he, re, uh, when he writes in uh, Hebrews 2, beginning of verse 14, since the children, catch the theme, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Verse 17, for this reason he had made like them. He was made to be like them. For this reason that we could be his children. It's incredible. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 15, and he says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why do you get to approach the throne of God in confidence? Not because you're just a repaired servant in the kingdom. Because you are his child. Joint heirs with Christ. You are his child. You are family. My daughter does not fear approaching me. She's my child. We are his child. He loved us so much. He made this our way. He sacrificed for us. Third final point. The Christmas story is a story of faith and adoption. I'm going to ask you to work really hard to give me your attention for five more minutes. I hope this will be your thought as you go into the Christmas season. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. God's method 
the will of God. God's method is a man. That man is Jesus. And we are called to a response to believe in Him. Believe in Him. Place our faith in Him. And the result of our faith in Him is that we become children of God. Children. God became man in full in order to save us in full. He became man in full in order to make us children of God. Christmas isn't just a salvation story. Its implication, the incarnation, makes it a family story. Church, listen, you're not just redeemed. You're adopted. What was broken, what was separate, what what held you firm in its grasp and would never let go in this broken family of Adam, God doesn't say, I'm just going to fix it. I'm going to adopt you out of it. I'm going to give you a new life. In my family. Joint heirs with my son. See, church, the Christmas story is a family story. Because Jesus is fully man. He took on humanity so that you and I could become children of God. Our Christmas shouldn't just make us look back. It should put in us a longing to look forward. To be united for all of eternity as brothers and sisters with Jesus. As the team comes up, I want to challenge you to respond this morning. I want you to think about something. No matter which way you go, Christmas is about family. You're going to celebrate it in family. You will one way or the other. You will celebrate Christmas deep, anchored within the family of Adam, or firmly and securely adopted into the family of God. God's work So that in those who believe in Jesus, you might become children of God. As you leave this place this morning, and you go to celebrate Christmas, which family will you celebrate with? Will you celebrate within the family of Adam or adopted into the family of God as his children? There is no greater question to contemplate on Christmas than this one. I don't understand all the hows of how Jesus is fully God and fully man. I don't understand all the hows of a triune God 
who exists three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in faith, I understand that God's method for my redemption, for my reconciliation, church, listen, for my adoption is Jesus. And there is nothing else that really matters. And if you're here and there's never been a time in your life where you believed in the name of Jesus, where you placed repentant, saving faith in Jesus, I pray that right now, maybe for the first time in your life, you would pray to a supreme God who revealed himself and offers you adoption. And that you would cry out, repent of your sin, and claim him as Lord, as Savior, fully God, fully man. that this would be the Christmas that your life would be changed forever for all of eternity church would you pray with me Heavenly Father your word is good it reveals things beyond our comprehension and calls us to faith Father, you have sent your son so that through faith we might become children of God. Lord, I pray that in this room if there is one who has not believed Father, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit this very morning, you would adopt them. That they may become joint heirs with Jesus. Guide them, Father, in your spirit. Lead them to repentance and saving faith in this moment. And Father, for the rest of us, as we turn our attention to Christmas, Lord, may we remember your sacrifice, your humiliation for the promise and the hope of becoming your children. pray all these things in the name of our Savior, the name of my brother, the name of Jesus. Amen.